Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode nine of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. This week's interview was with author John A. Daly, the mind behind the Sean Coleman thrillers. But before we get to John, I had to address the elephant in the room, or the nation to be more exact. I'm recording this podcast on the inauguration day, which brings a million thoughts to mind. I wanted to focus on Hollywood naturally. And here's my message to the folks in the Hollywood industry. Grow up. Now. I'm not just an entertainment journalist. I'm a consumer who loves Hollywood. I've always loved Hollywood. I grew up watching Abbott and Costello movies with my dad. I spent my teen years watching the latest movies over and over again. Being hopelessly single made that really easy. Years later, I started covering Hollywood for a living from a conservative point of view. I've always vowed not to be bitter about that assignment. Yes, I don't agree with how most stars see the world. And I'll hold them accountable when they insult us with their political snobbery. But ultimately... I still love their product, and I'll always be respectful when I interview celebrities. Lately, though, I've been feeling kind of conflicted. Michael Shannon said Trump voters should die. Amy Schumer called them KKK members. Joss Whedon, the great director of The Avengers, a movie I just can't help love, said violent things about Paul Ryan on Twitter without remorse. Is this the industry I'm supposed to respect? Trump's ascent has driven Hollywood crazy, and in a way, I get it. I was as skeptical of Trump as anyone. All I have to do is Google National Review, Trump, marriage, and my name, and you'll find my column about how this Trump rise brought my wife and I, my wife's very liberal, closer than we've ever been. I'm still skeptical, but I'm hopeful too. But this celebrity behavior we're witnessing is beyond the pale. They've called Trump a slave master, a Nazi, and probably worse things I somehow missed. It's enough. You've registered your complaints. We get it. Now it's time to rally as a nation and give Trump a chance. If he's as awful as you think, then go ahead and march, raise money, work within the system to defeat him in 2020. In the meantime, why not read National Review for a change or redstate.com? Talk to Trump voters, find out what drives them, and really, truly listen. You know, actors always brag about humanizing even the worst villains they play. It's how they create great performances. I've heard it time and time again, and I get it. How about humanizing those with whom you disagree? Your livelihood may depend on it. <clears throat> Someday, sooner than later, folks are going to stop supporting your projects because you've simply insulted them way too much. Today's rabid one-note Trump haters are threatened to break the goodwill between artist and consumer. And once that's broken, it might not be so easily repaired. Now for the hit tip of the week. It's Split, a new thriller from M. Night Shyamalan. Really? Once upon a time, he was the next Spielberg. Then after a string of really terrible movies, he was a punchline. Now following the respectable horror film The Visit comes Split, and it appears that M. Night has his mojo back. It's pulp filmmaking to the core about a man whose split personality helps him or hurts him and forces him to kidnap three young women. The storytelling is crisp and the performances, especially James McAvoy as the really disturbed villain, are rock solid. Yeah, the ending is pretty weak and the surprise near the end credits Kind of feels phony, almost like a, a Hail Mary pass the director was trying to throw toward the crowd. But this is still a really fun Saturday night movie pick. And it's proof that Shyamalan's reputation as a compelling filmmaker, it's back. Now, if you're looking for more movie tips, check out HollywoodInToto.com 
backslash Netflix. Sign up for my free weekly e-blast at that page, and you'll also get a free guide to 30 cool movies available now on Netflix. Now, this isn't Captain America or Spotlight or some of the sort of high-profile movies that Netflix serves up so regularly, and one of the reasons why it's such a good service. You've probably never heard of these movies, but you should. They're all well, well worth discovering. So just check out hollywoodandtoto.com backslash Netflix, and you'll find the link I'm looking, talking about. Now let's get to this week's interview. John A. Daly didn't start out as a writer. He got the bug in his 30s, and now he's the author of two compelling thrillers, From a Dead Sleep and Blood Trade. His political writing can be found on the great BernardGoldberg.com website. Here's my chat with John A. Daly. Well, you know, I love your story because you went from another career into being an author. I think you were a software engineer, right? Yes, I was. And, you know, it's, it's certainly easier said than done to become an author. And I think about half of Americans want to do that at some point. We all feel like we've got that book in us. So what was the biggest sort of roadblock in that journey? Because, again, I think a lot of us think about it and just never get it done. Right. Well, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I started, um, I didn't even have really an interest in writing until I was sort of in my early 30s. And uh, this was back, you know, about 16, 17 years ago. I was, I was, uh, living alone. I was working as a, uh, um, a developer, you know, as a C++ programmer. It was at an, a, an accounting software company. And, um, you know, I was good at the job and it was a good job, And uh, but it was never really my passion. And I'm not sure what it really was that uh, that prompted me to, to do this, but, you know, one day I just, I, I, something inspired me to try and write a poem. And uh, went ahead and tried it and I was actually surprised by how easily the words started coming out. And, uh, uh it's 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 it felt like it was one of those things where you know you don't really know uh, what your hobby is going to be you know until you find something that you're really interested in and um, writing suddenly just kind of felt like this natural thing that I wanted to do that uh, I had never even really put much thought into before wow. and I, I uh, go ahead go ahead no do you, do you still have that poem by the way you know what I don't I had a uh, years ago I had a website um, just kind of you know I was a software developer so I like to screw around and. Uh, I was sort of an early adapter of the of the World Wide Web, and I had sort of a fun little website out there, and I put it out on there and got a response to it. But at some point, you know, I don't, I lost track of it, I lost track of the file. I don't mm-hmm. know, if, I know the website went under. It was sort of just a look, you know, a personal one anyway. Um, I moved to a different provider and lost it. And uh, but you know, it's it's one of those things I've actually tried. I've tried to go use the Wayback Machine <laughs> to find it, but it did not work out. If you were but, under investigation, someone would find it. But for now, I think for a regular layman, maybe yeah. it's, it's beyond your grasp. Um, yes. Now, your first novel was from a dead sleep, and we'll talk about that in a second. But was that your first attempt at a novel that became a novel, or were there sort of other rough drafts that kind of didn't quite get where you wanted to go? Um, no, it was, not, it was not my first. My first attempt at a novel, and that was kind of after I had done some other, uh, pursued some other interest in writing, you know, did some movie reviews for a couple websites, that sort of thing. But... Yeah, when I first started, uh, when I worked on my first novel, it was actually a story about, kind of loosely based on a road trip I took back in college with some friends to California, and I kind of added sort of a thriller twist to it. And, um, you know, again, it was one of those, it was, it was a good experiment, because I, I felt like I learned a lot while working on it. I got about a, probably 130, 140 pages in it, probably, you know, past the halfway point of it. Um, and uh, I just felt like I had sort of written myself into a corner. I'd introduced too many characters. I didn't feel like uh, the ideas I had for, for the conclusion were particularly strong. And um, one night, I, you know, this, is, it's, this sounds sort of like a, a canned 
um, you know description here, but I did have uh, happen to have a, a dream that uh, was sort of a uh, sort of an odd one that stuck out in my head. You know, once I woke up, it was uh, this image of me um, witnessing somebody shoot themselves. Um, you know, commit suicide on a bridge. Mm-hmm fall into the water, the body gets washed away, and the rest of the dream was me trying to convince other people that what I had seen actually happened, and nobody believed me, there was no evidence left behind, people thought I was making it up, and I remember waking up and thinking, man, that would be an interesting premise for a book, and so I actually started uh, the first chapter based around that dream, based on that scene, um, from this this new character I created called Sean Coleman, and... uh, it, it really kind of it, it made me realize I needed to stop writing the other book. I was trying to do both at the same time at one point, and mm-hmm. it just it didn't feel right. So I concentrated all my efforts on the other idea, and it really uh, kind of opened a whole new world of, of possibilities in my mind of where I wanted to take it. And um, I went with it and uh, kept working on it until I was done. Uh, and it took a few years to get that done. You know, I was, I was working full-time as a software developer, and it was... Uh, I was doing all this in my spare time, and uh, it took a while, but you know, I eventually got there. For for other writers who have a similar, if not a dream, sort of a, a an instinct or a, just a wish to do what you're doing, what, what is there one piece of advice you would give them? Well, this this isn't gonna yeah there is um, there isn't this isn't gonna be particularly original, but a lot of authors <laughs> have suggested this, but it's it's very much true, and that's you really the best inspiration for writing good fiction is to read good fiction, mm-hmm. and if you find a, an author that you know, where the where the the content is is rich and it kind of uh, it puts you in a certain zone, you know it's not like you're stealing any ideas from the person. Uh, from the author, but you're stealing sort of some inspiration from them. It puts you in a certain zone to write uh, better quality um, content. You know, it's funny. I I don't disagree with your advice. At the same time, when when I, I used to write fiction when I was younger, and I I actually felt like, oh my goodness, I can't do what he or she is doing. I'm not gonna try. So I, <laughs> I I kind of bailed on fiction writing. But I think in a way that you kind of use it as inspiration. So, but I'm I think your path was much more proactive and and <laughs> pragmatic. <laughs> But uh, talk a little bit about sort of being an author in 2017 now. You know, you can get instant feedback. It isn't like someone's going to take a pen and paper and write you a letter saying, by golly, I really enjoy your story. You'll get Twitter comments or, or feedback on your website. Do you get that? And, and what can you kind of, can I guess, expand as an artist from that? Just talk a bit sort of about that, that new relationship the author has with the audience. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, ha- I do get emails from people. You know, I have a website out there, um, johndailybooks.com. It's, it's listed on the backs of my books, so I, I hear from people uh, from time to time that have read it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really it's inspiring for the most part because when you're writing, you know, when you're writing a book, uh, a lot of people say you should write like no one's ever going to read this book. And I, there's, some, there's some truth to that. Uh, you know, you don't want to um, prevent yourself from putting out kind of um, out-of-the-box ideas and that sort of thing so you don't you don't you don't, you don't worry, worry about uh, what you're writing you know what your friends might think or what your parents might think or your family and um, yeah you really uh, you really don't have this concept um, in the back of your, your head that someone's actually going to read this you know in some cases but you know when you start hearing back from people and I've I've you know I've got people that followed me on on you know social media after reading my my books and uh, it's it's good to hear that that feedback and it's it's what I really like is when people feel like they've identified with the characters and that the characters spoke to them and that uh, that makes me feel good you know not not all um, 
feedback is good, obviously. You know, different people like different things. Usually the ones that, you know, if they don't happen to like my book, I, I'm usually not going to hear from them. They're not going to go out of their way to email me to let me know they like my book. You know, I'll see some, every now and then I'll get a negative review, you know, out on Amazon or Goodreads. And it's usually, you know, usually they're kind of, <clears throat> as an author, you know, it's you, you got to have thick skin and you kind of have to... Um, Take it as it comes in, you know. It's it's uh, some in some cases they, you know, I think they may, maybe might have made some good points, you know, in their critique of it, um, in their in their criticisms, and in other ones, you know, sometimes you read them and you're thinking, I'm not sure this was, I'm not sure this person read my book, you know, <laughs> talk about scenes that you're like, I, I don't, this doesn't even sound like my book, you know, but uh, yeah, but you know, everybody kind of views things differently, and, and that's a good and bad thing, I suppose. Gotcha. A Broken Slate is your next book is coming out this fall. Is that a Sean Coleman adventure or thriller as well? Or yes, it'll be the uh, the third book in the Sean Coleman series. I'm gotcha. actually, you know, it's been written and um, it was originally slated for a summer release, and my uh, my publisher ended up going getting a new distributor who is uh, got to put some more uh, a lot more uh, marketing um, effort behind it than our than the previous distributor did. So yeah. they wanted they wanted to give them some extra time with it, and uh, that's that's fine with me. You know, I. As an author, you always kind of want to get your stuff out there as quickly as possible, and there is some some frustration when you have to wait. You know, I'd love to be able to be like a lead child that gets a new book out every year. You know, mm-hmm. uh, mine so far have been about every two years, and uh, but I'd, I'd like to try and speed up that process. But you know, while things happen, and sometimes it makes more sense to wait wait a little bit. Gotcha. The timing. What, what's been the most uh, surprising part of becoming a published author? Like you mentioned, like I don't think. I don't think when someone is dreaming of their first novel that they're worried about the de- the the publication date getting delayed for marketing purposes. Like right. I don't think that would come to you, know, you. Just wouldn't think about that. Well, anything else that kind of comes to mind about this this particular world that you're fairly new to that that kind of surprised you or intrigued you? It is because you know I feel like one thing that kind of sticks out is you you're viewed I think by most people with a little bit more prestige than you're probably used to. I mean yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm any any different than the regular person, you know, it's that I'm not, I mean, I, I shop at all the same places, do all the same things, it's not, but people seem to hold, hold um, they, they really seem to admire someone, I guess, who's, who's, who's show that sort of dedication to actually write a book, and so they're, they're more curious about you, and that's kind of interesting, I'm not, you know, I don't, I try, I don't let it get to my head or anything, but it's, it's a, it's a unique, it's a, it's a different way, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, my friends kind of know me as someone who's always kind of who's not a very serious person who's always kind of taking the lighter side of things and cracking jokes at things. And so when they read my book, they kind of see a, a different side of me that they didn't really know was there. And it was it's kind of it's kind of interesting just just how surprised people are. Um, you know, they think they they think they know me, and they kind of they, they see this other part of my my life where I put about some more serious work that they they have to kind of separate from the person they know. Gotcha. For those who haven't read your book so far and don't know Sean Coleman quite yet, how would you say he's different than either other protagonists or how do you think your books are different than other thrillers in the space? Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a different kind of protagonist. Um, you know, he's a, he's a deeply flawed guy. Um, he has a problem with alcohol. He's made a, made a lot of poor decisions throughout his life, ones that have kind of kept him from becoming the person that he's always, you know, he always wanted to be when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's different than from most of the books I read. Usually the, the protagonist is kind of a squeaky clean character who's a good looking guy and charming. And, and that's totally not Sean Coleman. You know, he's not charming. He's, he's very blunt and he's crass. And, um, but deep down he does, he does want to do the right thing. Even for those who don't particularly like him, he wants mm-hmm. to uh, be a better person. 
and that's that's a big part of the Sean Coleman uh, thriller series. It's, it's really about redemption. You know, it's uh, the first book, the first chapter, the first, first book. Uh, people get to know Sean. He's kind of about as low as a person can get, and um, you know, through the series, he, he finds ways to uh, better himself, and uh, it, it makes his life better. And uh, you know, he definitely has hurdles that he goes through, but it's sort of a progression of, of where he's come from the from. Uh, some pretty dark spaces. Gotcha. Can you tease a little bit about the, the story behind Broken Slate? Sure. Um, um, one of the uh, the characters that's mentioned quite a bit in the first two books, and I, I won't give much away on that, was, is uh, Sean Coleman's father, who actually um, deserted the family uh, when Sean was a child, when, when him and his sister were a child. And that's uh, the absence of, of uh, uh, this male figure in his life and this... Um, question of whatever happened to this guy you know they, the, the the family hasn't heard from him in 30 years has been a lot of what kind of molded Sean originally into the character that he was this person who uh, who just he didn't live up to uh, to the expectations that uh, he once had and um, the uh, the book actually uh, pursues the new book Broken Slate uh, pursues explains what happened to his father and he there's a, a series of events that leads Sean into uh, discovering uh, what his father has been up to and uh, uh, where he's been living over the years. And so it's about Sean going out to uh, to, to explore his father's life and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, running into a lot of situations that uh, he never could have imagined. <laughs> gotcha. Here's my, here's my hokey question for you. So if there was going to be an actor playing Sean Coleman in a feature film, who, who would be your choice? You know, at, at this point, I'm not really sure. I, I will admit that when I was writing the first book, the visualization I had in my head was very similar to uh, the character that Russell Crowe um, played in um, L.A. Confidential. He's uh, white, uh, a little bit. He's actually quite a bit bigger than Russell Crowe. That I described Sean Coleman in the book is six foot five, but he's kind of got that short hair, and he's kind of uh, kind of a badass, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Doesn't doesn't take a lot of, uh, uh, of you know jive for people and uh, yeah it's uh, that, that's who I, I kind of had in my head when I was writing that and I've I've had a few people that have actually mentioned that you know it kind of reminds me of this character and I was like yeah that's you know it's there's there's definitely some similarities you know between the two gotcha uh, in addition to being a novelist you also contribute to a Bernard Goldberg website. And he's a longtime journalist, and he talks about media bias. I I followed his work for years. I love his stuff. I think he's brilliant. Talk just a little, give the audience a little bit of a, a taste of the work you do there, and, and how it kind of I guess speaks to your another part of your uh, writing persona. Yes, um, you know, like you, I've always been a big fan of Bernie's. You know, I admire him um, immensely for having the guts and the. Uh, the moral integrity to uh, to speak out against the liberal biases in the mainstream media, and he started doing this as as, as you probably know, um, back when he was actually very much a part of the mainstream media. He was a CBS. He worked at CBS News for you know, almost thirty years. He was a very good friend of uh, Dan Rather's, but you know it really weighed on him. You know he saw these biases um, every day, and it, eventually he had to say something about it, and it. In a way, it did, you know, affect his career. Um, and uh, but uh, he, you know, he didn't. He saw this as a more important thing. And and so yeah, I've I've, I've, I've long been a fan. And I uh, years ago, about five years ago, I used to visit Bernie's website quite, quite regularly, just as a normal visitor. And I'd I'd weigh in on the comment section, and every now and then he he reply back to me. And I remember one day he um, he uh, wrote a column. I don't remember what the topic was now, but I I had just recently written. Um, a uh, column for my local paper, an op-ed on the same topic, and I, I left a, a link there in the comment section. 
kind of in regard to uh, what he was talking about. And um, he actually read it and, and liked it enough that he asked me to start writing for his website. And so he is, he is, he, uh, to me, it was an honor because he's kind of, you know, one of my journalistic heroes. So to, to write for him um, was, was pretty exciting. So yeah, I've been doing that for quite some time. And, um, you know, he had the same concerns as he does about media bias. And for the longest time, you know, we had over eight years of Obama. Um, there was, you know, obviously plenty of, of liberal media bias. It was probably at its height, you know, in 2008 and definitely came back around 2012, but it's always been there. And so, you know, I've, it's, I think it's important to me, uh, single standards in the media are very important. So when you see these double standards or politicians covered in different ways based on which party they're in, um, it's something I see as a big problem. And, uh, a lot of what I've written, you know, over the past 18 months was kind of the reverse of that. You know, I saw a lot of uh, uh, issues with, with where my side of the aisle, you know, I'm a conservative thinker for the most part, um, sort of uh, a lot of biases more than, more than I was definitely comfortable, comfortable with on the conservative side that were very uh, pro-Trump almost to the point where, you know, they were serving as actual, like, surrogates for the man. And uh, that's, that's a lot of what I wrote over the past... Uh, you know, 18 months was, yeah. um, you know, digging into that. And it's, it's not always a popular thing to do. You know, a lot of people on my side of the aisle don't, don't want conservatives and Republicans criticizing, uh, you know, our president-elect. But, uh, you know, I just, my, my conscience uh, wouldn't let me be quiet on it. And I still, I, still, I, I try to remain fair in my criticisms. And, uh, um, but, you know, it's, uh, um, we'll see where it goes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've had a similar experience because as much as I'm a, I lean to the right. I was highly critical of Trump throughout this whole process, and it, it, it allowed me to kind of unplug from my side, for lack of a better phrase. And frankly, it, it kind of educated me about a lot of things in a way maybe I didn't want to even get educated about. So I, I think that's a, I think for both of us, it was a healthy perspective, and I, I just wish more people on both sides were there. Just a quick point, you know, I don't care if the nation fawns over President Obama. That doesn't bother me. They are. They are unobjective. They're open about it. They say who they are, and they are aimed at liberal readers. And that's that's their perspective, and it's clear. And I, I respect that in a way. I could disagree with what they say, but it's when all the mainstream outlets do what they do and, and carry on as they do, which I get kind of perturbed about. Yeah. Oh, I want to just talk briefly about off the air. You, you mentioned something to me uh, before the show about. I, I, something that kind of gave me a little bit of hope about journalism, but a, a new gig you have. And yes. uh, I guess these people wanted your perspective as a right-leaning uh, author. Tell me a little bit about that, because I, I, I really like the story. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting. I, I heard uh, you know on Twitter in, in a direct message a, a few weeks ago from a, a man who works for a, uh, an online uh, a website uh, called Paste Magazine. And he, uh, it was interesting because I, I, I felt bad. I didn't actually uh, see his message for a few weeks. I usually the only direct messages I get on Twitter or, you know, these follow back verification uh -huh. type stuff. So I, I don't really pay too close of attention to that. But no, I found it and uh, he uh, he was he was an interesting guy. He basically laid out on the table that um, you know, Pace magazine was this uh, it was a very liberal leaning website, especially during the primaries. They uh, a lot of the writers there um, were were pro Sanders guys. So uh, even 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 the the pro Clinton people that worked for the site were kind of outnumbered, you know, and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. he said, you know, um, he's really thinks it's important to bring some diversity of opinion um, to the website and the political realm. And he was looking for, you know, a conservative voice to kind of give a, a different perspective. And I, yeah, I think that's important because that's. Um, 
that's kind of what, what drew me to the opportunity because one of the things, you know, just from reading Bernie Goldberg's books over the years is that, you know, his, his prescription for, for dealing with media bias is to um, not just look for, you know, ethnic diversity in the newsroom, but to look for diversity of thought in the newsroom. You bring in people from all these different backgrounds, from rural America, and then you get a more complete picture. And um, that's when someone, you know, on the left like that recognized that and, 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 and approached me. I thought that, wow, this is actually a really good opportunity to, you know, write for this website from a conservative, mainly conservative point of view. Um, to an audience that, uh, you know, probably is more inclined, you know, it reflexively to vilify that, to, you know, the other side. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's an exciting opportunity to me, and it, uh, opportunity to me, and I wanna, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting started with it. Gotcha. I, I love it. I, I expect more hate mail, but I think, I think oh, overall I, it's a good thing, <laughs> and I wish more outlets did it. So I, I had one last question for you. John, sure. I, you know, there's been all this think pieces about the age of Trump and how the Hollywood and the artistic community will react to it and what they need to do and what they should do. What's your perspective on this? Because I, I you know, I don't want to overhype it and I, you know, I don't think the nation changed from November 7th to November 9th, but I, I think you could also use this as, a, as an opportunity in a sense. What, what, as someone who observes Hollywood and, and is a writer, what, what would you like to see happen from the stories that were told from Hollywood and other sources? Yeah, well, I mean, it would be nice to see to see Hollywood actually kind of learn um, from the election results. They don't have to agree, and they, and they won't agree, but to kind of get an idea, you know, this this different perspective out there, you know, like I just talked about, it's 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 important not to ignore, you know, the the, the perspective on the other side, and uh, I think that's that that'll be a good start. You know, I, I've actually seen some um, some things in Hollywood in recent years that have given me a little bit of hope. I know Mark Mark, Mark Wahlberg has. Has made some statements um, that are very kind of respectful to that uh, that middle America that, in some cases, Hollywood likes to kind of hold in contempt. And uh, there's other people, Bradley Cooper. And I don't think any of these people are. I wouldn't consider the conservatives. They probably you know have, don't vote for Republicans or whatever. But they at least kind of respect the other side, and they kind of see they're kind of opening their eyes to uh, what's going on on the other side. Yeah, yeah, Ashton Kutcher's done a beautiful job with that when he made that show, The Ranch, for Netflix. He specifically said. I'm reaching out to red state America, and this is an underserved audience. And I, I think that was brilliant. He's a liberal guy. I have no, I have no problem with that, and I, I really give him kudos for that. But uh, before I let you go, actually, one one thing I, I've been trying to ask a lot of our guests this particular question. And I hope I, I won't sort of stump you on it, but we can always recommend movies that are great right now, and you know, people could see what the you know La La Land and all the Oscar bait films. But is there anything you've been watching or reading or maybe listening on the uh, you know on your iPod that you want to recommend to us, the listeners, that people haven't heard about yet? Things may be flying under the pop culture radar. Yes, uh, there is actually. Um, you know, I've, it's interesting. You know, we we met uh, online a few months ago and. Um, at that time, I don't think I had a subscription to Netflix, but I kept on seeing your reviews that were, uh, you know, streaming content and that sort of thing, and it kind of got us motivated to to order that and kind of um, open our eyes to some new uh, series, you know, television series that we wouldn't have otherwise known about. And uh, I definitely, uh, and everybody's been recommending this, but Black Mirror um, season mm-hmm. three, Netflix, just fantastic. Just the approach they've taken is so unique, and uh, yeah, we've really enjoyed it. Uh, but uh, I, the OA was pretty good for the most part. Um, I don't know if you saw that one. That uh, that series, the ending was a little different. <laughs> I've, I've heard I've heard the ending was disappointing from almost everyone, but I've heard it's also a very good show, so we can forgive a little bit. 
good show with an odd ending for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the one we're into right now is actually called Spotless. Um, it's it's sort of in a way kind of reminds me a little bit of Breaking Bad. I believe it's a it's a British series that's about these uh, these two uh, two brothers. One is sort of. Uh, um, a cleanup guy for uh, for uh, people, you know, people, dead people, basically. You know, uh, the guy that comes that comes in and cleans up the messes after someone's, you know, committed suicide or was murdered and that sort of thing. So, but, but yeah, it's it's a very um, interesting show. There's a uh, the the character that plays the uh, kind of screwed up brother. Um, the actor is uh, Dennis, I believe, is Dennis Moshe is his name, but he is just fantastic. I mean, it just just a ride. But it is it is a well written show. Uh, well acted. If you liked uh, Breaking Bad and you miss it, this would, this would be a good one for, for those fans. Excellent. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing that and also for taking the time to speak to us today. Now, if you before I let you go officially, where can people find you online and print any other place that uh, they can find your work? Sure. Well, um, my website is johndailybooks.com. That's J-O-H-N-D-A-L-Y. You know, you can find out, uh, there's links there to my work on Bernie Goldberg's website. His website is bernardgoldberg.com. Uh, there'll soon be links to my work uh, for Pace Magazine. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that has a pretty good layout of, of where people can uh, not just find my books, but find uh, other types of my writing. Excellent. Well, thanks again, John. We will stay in touch, and maybe we'll talk again this fall when your book comes out. That would be great. I'd, I would love that. Thank you, Christian. Thanks again. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at myhealthpolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.